The Down in a Heap podcast from Rob C. is one of the only podcasts that I can stand to listen to. I'm Froth from the Thought Eater podcast, and I approve this message. Let's go, games. Life is cheap. Try not to go. Down in a heap. Don't be a dog. Bring your poor own love. And try not to go. Down in a heap. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your host, Rob podcasting to you live from beautiful Northeast Minneapolis. Top of the show, we heard from Froth, Thought Eater Podcast, Thought Eater Blog. Go check them out. There's lots of great stuff on both the podcast and blog that Froth did. And we heard from Aaron, the NPC, doing his indie version of my theme song. We'll hear from him again tomorrow, or, well, the next episode, (laughs) with another version that he did. So thanks so much for sending those over, Aaron. They're great. I uh, I don't know. I caught a whiff of like GBV there. I seemed a little guided by voices. Um, so that's very cool. And Aaron also dropped me a message, but in it he gave his uh, email address, and I'm a little hesitant to play the message because of that, and I can't figure out how to edit it out. But he was requesting that I do another mixtape episode, so I will... Uh, definitely put that in the hopper for ideas for November after OSR October is over with. And yes, uh, OSR October, all right, I (laughs) was finishing up my vacation. The weather turned gorgeous. I'm an idiot and can't figure out how to record uh, people on Zoom or Teams or anything like that. It's more that I'm just... uh, technologically exhausted maybe would be the way to put it i in uh, my job before cheese i believe it or not was electronic tech and i spent a lot of time fixing things and building things and i guess just got completely burnt out on trying to figure things out <laughs> uh technologically and if there's any kind of barrier, I just kind of zone out and will only really attempt to go forward um, if it's really something that's kind of vital or something. Not to say that I don't want to have recordings with uh, with my friends and my other podcasting buddies and stuff, which I'd really like to do. So I want to figure this out. But I just, at any time, even like trying to get to a site and I forgot my password a lot of times I'll just be like whatever (laughs) not even do anything so it's just this mental block I have and I I will overcome it and figure it out but so that's why friend Fridays is kind of like uh gone out like a a balloon a popped balloon or whatever um but I'll try and if nothing else I'll try and just get things back, uh, well, I'll try and add that kind of thing going forward. I'll try and line up interviews with, uh, with other podcasters and other people I game with and whatever, uh, that it's fun to do those things. And I really would like to incorporate that into my show. And, um, yeah, so today is, even though it's Sunday, this is my Saturday 
call-in bonanza show for OSR October, and ooh, is it ever a bonanza? There are lots of calls, so uh, without further ado, we'll move on. We've got a bunch of calls from John from the Red Dice Diaries. Take it away, John. Hey there, Rob. This is John calling from the Red Dice Stories, finally catching all my podcast listening, and I've just started listening to your OSR October episodes. Very much enjoying those. Hopefully I'll drop you a few messages. I unfortunately have fallen victim to the Anchor craptastrophe, so I've also lost the ability to send them via the Anchor app. Sending this via the website, so hopefully it'll come through okay, but who knows. But yeah, very much enjoying the episodes. Like I say, I might drop you a few more calls and hopefully I might even get to put out some stuff myself for OSR October. I think it's a great idea. Loving the stuff I've heard so far. Looking forward to listening to the rest of it. Take it easy, dude. I'll catch you soon. Hey there, John again from the Red Dice Diaries. Just listening to your rough outline of OSR October and your planned activities. And Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Casts calling about Troika. And yeah, I've got to say, while I've got a copy of Troika and I like some bits of it, I've got to admit I'm not too keen on the lack of acknowledgement to fighting fantasy and advanced fighting fantasy. As Jason said, we, we talked about it a bit in the first iteration of the, the Purple Worm podcast, and we were generally all of the opinion that, if I remember correctly, that, yeah, some sort of acknowledgement really should have been made. Now, that's not to say the rules are bad in Troika, but I'm not so keen on the implied background. And In fact, I think if I was going to use Troika, I'd probably try and use the new rules, but use the old background out of fighting fantasy. But maybe that's just me. Anyway, keep up the good work, dude. I'm going to get back to listening to the episode. Hey, John. Thanks for the calls. I appreciate it. I appreciate you trying to, are you catching up and listening to the back episodes and uh, and that you've joined in and definitely go out and check out uh, John's, well, his podcast in general, but his recent episodes where he is doing uh, some OSR October related things. And yeah, that's, I kind of bounced off Troika myself. It I think it's really cool, really imaginative. I think it would be really cool to play in Daniel Sells game or anyone that can capture that feel. But yeah, that's oh, I just know I would completely um, botch that. I don't I don't have that kind of imagination, and I don't think I could uh, just I don't have the chops for it. <laughs> it would either come across as being uh, completely comedy or farce or I don't know. I just don't, there are some things and that's why I usually don't try and do gonzo in my games either because I just don't think I can pull it off. And I guess that's maybe part of uh Becoming a, a better referee is understanding your limitations. I don't know. Let's see what else John has to say. Hey there, Rob. John again from the Red Dice Diaries. Just listening to the end of your rough outline for our October. And much as I enjoyed your disclaimer, dude, and I did, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. We're all just blabbering, dude. So don't worry about it. It's the blabbering and the different types of blabber that make it interesting and no i'm not being sponsored by the word blabber for this voicemail keep it the good work dude catch you soon john there's talking about my uh outline for osr october and i had a big disclaimer talking about how 
these are just my opinions and uh, how how I view OSR October and the OSR in general. What pops into my mind when I think about it, and uh, when I'm talking, when I say OSR, this is what I mean when I'm talking about it, and how that's just for me. That's just my like reference points. What I, what's going on in my melon, and I'm just another dumbass, you know sharing my views and opinions on their podcast. And I think that's great. I think having this open discourse is great when we're all respecting each other's opinions and uh, understanding where other people are coming from, I think is a good thing. Um, and I think having some kind of <laughs> common idea would be shared idea would be great. Um, but it, it looks like, um, uh, I have a feeling I'm utterly failing, uh, at this whole thing because I, I know we're just going to go back to, it means everything. <laughs> so, which is, but that's fine. Uh, I, I should probably just start calling my games. I'm playing ROB. That's my new acronym. I'm playing Rob. <laughs> that's my game style. And rather than try to be part of some kind of community or attempt to define what that community is or whatever, the, the, not, not the community so much, but the games, I'll, I'll just say I'm playing old, old versions of D&D because the, I guess that's what I'm more or less saying. And rather than having a term that seems to be confounded by people, and um, it's just not worth it. <laughs> but, but thanks for the photo confidence, John. I do appreciate it. Hey there, Rob. John here from the Red Dice Stories. Just finished listening to your OSR October Day 1. Very much enjoyed it. And yeah, I'd love to get in on one of those collaboration Friday slots. However, I can understand if it's not going to be possible because, you know, time zone differences and stuff like that work hours and whatever but how if there's a way you think we can make it work reach out to me and we'll see what we can do i'd love to chat all stuff osr with you anyway i'm going to get back to listening to the rest of your osr october episodes take care dude i'll catch you soon hey definitely that would be cool if we could work it out john i do keep some weird hours i'm usually very early to bed but very early to rise, so maybe we can match something up somewhere along the way. And, uh, and even if it's not October, we can do it some other time. And it would be fine with me if it's on your show or my, my show or both. But let's figure it out. Hey there, Rob. John here again from Red Dice Diaries. Just listened to your episode two, OSR October, where you're talking about Black March by Rob Conley. Now, I vaguely remember someone else mentioning that to me before, but I'd not got around to having a look at it. But I'm glad you mentioned it again, because I read a few reviews on it, and I've now actually gone and ordered a hard copy of it, and I'm looking forward to reading that. Also, I hope you don't mind that with my own OSR October episodes, as I'm sort of rushing to catch up, that I'm taking a heavy inspiration from your own podcast episodes on what sort of stuff I should be talking about. Like I'm going to be doing a an episode on one of my favorite OSR supplements soon. So hope that's all right. And I really appreciate the inspiration, dude. Looking forward to listening to the rest of your episodes. Take care. I'll catch you soon. 
well, maybe I'm not entirely failing. <laughs> That's great that you uh, picked up Black Marsh. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. I, I think it's really cool. And, uh, I'm, yeah, that's great that, uh, you're getting inspired by some of the, my blibber blabber, uh, <laughs> and totally cool if you're, uh, bouncing ideas around and, and, uh, and using some of my format or whatever, that, that's totally cool. And I look forward to hearing more of your stuff. Hey there, Rob, it's John here, just listening to your episode about the Slumbering Ursine at June's Adventure. Got a copy of it myself and very much enjoyed reading it. And I thought what you said near the end of the episode, where even if you're maybe not planning on running it as is, it's just a very enjoyable read. That particularly struck a chord with me because I'm not, I tend to prefer to run my adventures with a slightly more serious tone and that doesn't mean that like i've outlawed laughter at the table or anything like that parish of thought but you know i tend to prefer the humor to just sort of arise nat naturally from what's going on in the session rather than deliberately try and set out to be funny just because i'm not that much of a comedian to be honest but slumbringer signed dunes whilst i don't think i ever run it 100 percent as is i find it an incredibly enjoyable book to read along with the other Hill Canton stuff. So I thought you bang on the money there. Anyway, just wanted to call in say I enjoyed the episode. Keep up the good work, dude. I'll catch you soon. Yeah, I think it is important that things are enjoyable to read and stuff. And the, the Hill Canton's stuff is really, I think, enjoyable to read. And yeah, even though I wouldn't run it as is, uh, I that's how I feel too about like comedy and games. I think it's, I love to laugh with all my friends and stuff when we're playing games but it i think it works better when it just kind of comes out of what you're doing rather than deliberately trying to throw in comedic elements it kind of stru struck me or uh, mary and i have been watching stranger things while we were on vacation uh, she loves that i like it a lot too i think it's a good show and with the fourth season that came out now we'll finally pick that up on dvd too or uh, again with technology i never figured out how to do things like netflix and stuff but uh but i buy the dvds and uh anyway we're we were watching that again and for me it's the i love the the first season i think the second season is good and the third season has rewatching it again is reminding me how much it seemed like they deliberately tried to make it more comedy and they made some of the characters have become kind of uh, a little bit comic relief and a little bit more buffoonish uh, especially like the the chief of police hopper and uh, and steve has kind of become a comedic character and stuff and uh, that's cool i i you know things uh tv series change over time a lot of and uh but uh, it it loses some of the the horror elements to me, and when you're you know, when you're shifting back and forth, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And comedy is hard, <laughs> and I suck at it too. And uh, and in, I I think it's really hard in games to it's it's one thing when you're playing with people you know really well. I think you kind of develop a sense of what their sense of humor is, but but like if you were to try to do a comic game um, or a game with a lot of 
comedic elements at uh as a one shot with strangers like at a con game and stuff Ooh, boy you're a brave soul if if anyone attempted that braver than me i'd never tried to do that because i it, i just think it would be really hard to come up with something that's funny to everyone at the table or fun and funny <laughs> if that makes any sense uh I was getting calls kind of coming in one afternoon, just getting all these uh, um, notifications as John was dropping messages. And then Daniel from from Bandit's Keep was dropping messages at the same time. So we'll shift over to see what the old Bandit Lord has to say now. We're up. Daniel from Bandit's Keep calling in to your call-in show. (laughs) I'm scattered over here on what, call, what I call into. But anyways, uh, I'm halfway through the three call-ins about the domain play. So I figured that's a good way because, you know, I never wait till the end. And uh, I, I actually just picked up a supplement called an Echo Resounding, which is about exactly what you're all talking about. You, you kind of, in a sense, set up domain play in the background in the beginning as a GM or DM. And then you kind of, you involve the player characters little by little as they go. So by the time they reach higher levels, it like makes sense and they can have domain and stuff. So it seems pretty cool. Although now that I'm looking around online and other things, it looks like, uh, uh, it looks like a, a world without number that has like the same rules in the PDF. And I believe that PDF is free. <laughs> Whereas an echo resounding is like $10. So it might be worth uh, looking at the free one first to see if, uh, if it interests you. It may actually be controversial for me to say this, but I'm not a big fan of giving out extra experience points for the spending of gold unless there's risk involved. So like your situation where you do carousing, I've done that. It's like, okay, you're going to spend money on carousing. Here's how it works. You roll to see if a mishap happens, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, do you want to risk that? (laughs) The other way I did carousing is I did not allow them to choose how much gold. They just said, I'm going to carouse, and there was X amount of gold available, and it was always based on how much they made that adventure. That's how we did it. So if they came back with 10,000 gold pieces, all that 10,000 gold pieces is on the line if they want to carouse. And then they would roll, and depending on what they rolled, they would spend X amount of it, and that amount they would get experience points for. And if they rolled a certain number, then they would have it a mishap. So again, risk-reward, I think, just is much better than just, hey, I'm going to build a shrine, so double my experience points, please. Of course, that's because I do, like like people have been suggesting and you agree with, and Jason, I think, suggested, I give the full you know amount of gold that modules ask for. I use the, the numbers in the book, so my characters are getting tons of gold. If you do one of those deals where you cut everything back or you're running OSR modules where they're finding you know, 300 copper pieces uh, after killing 10 goblins, then yeah, let them double their XP. <laughs> and that, of course, was Daniel from the Bandits Keep Media Empire. And I don't have an Echo Resounding or Worlds Without Number. Those That's Kevin Crawford, I believe. Uh, but Daniel did outline uh, or spotlight Echo Resounding on one of his OSR October shows. So be sure to go check that out if you haven't already. They sound cool. It's something that I should, I should go out and check out because I do like domain play. And uh, yeah, if, if you think it's cool, I'm sure it's cool. Let's see what else. Oh, controversy? Nah, you're just uh, sharing your your opinion on something, and that's fine. I think, uh, yeah, that's what this is all about, kind of talking about what we like and don't like and uh, uh, how we approach things at our 
game table and stuff. I like the uh, idea you had about having the whole pot on the line as far as carousing goes. Uh, the, the hall that you brought back in the in the previous adventure because it does seem kind of reasonable that if you are impetuous enough to like do this kind of carousing that maybe if you were too far gone in your cups or just got carried away in general that you'd uh, be willing to risk a lot more or just blow a lot more of your money so having a variable for that i think is really an interesting idea Uh, but the whole idea of uh, experience points too if you are running it pretty much rules as written and there's very little experience points for overcoming monsters and 90, 95% of your experience points come from treasure. Yeah, I think you should be following the guidelines or the, the, the money rewards and stuff for the risks they're taking that are outlined in the rules. Unless you want your game to either uh, progress more quickly through the levels or more slowly. Uh, if you don't if you well it comes down to what I've, I've had podcast episodes about this before it reinforce what you want at the table if you want a game of exploration um, more for the sake of exploration than for finding treasure well then maybe reward things like uh, how many rooms they explore in a dungeon or how many hexes they go through and explore or search or whatever um, in the wilderness Uh, and reward, have experience points rewards that way. If you want to have a domain building game, then maybe you do give bonus experience points for um, creating a shrine or or whatever. I I mean, I think that's that's fine. That uh, I haven't really explored that too much. I had it as an option in one of my games, and uh, as usual, it kind of petered out before we really went very far with it. Um... But, yeah, I, I kind of like these little mini-games and, and different ways to get experience points in general in games. I think they can be maybe a way for different different players to engage with the, the game in different ways. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but thanks for the calls. And now I think we're shifting back to hear from John Large again. Hey there, Rob, it's John here from the Red Dice Diaries. Just listening to your Life is Cheap OSR October episode, thought I'd drop you a voicemail, mainly because I thought it was interesting what you were saying about playing multiple characters. Now, I've got to admit, I've never ran or played in a game where multiple characters has been a thing. And that's not because I've consciously tried to avoid it, just because it never seems to have happened that way. We've always sort of concentrated on a single player character. But I can see what you're saying. It might soften the blow to have like a little pool of characters. And obviously, I know the funnel's a big thing in DCC. So maybe I'll have to give it a go in future. Just wanted to call and say thanks for putting the idea in my head. Keep up the good work, and I'll catch you soon. Hey there, I've got an idea for your Wednesday title. How about Wiki Wiki Wild Wild Wednesday, where you could focus on wilderness exploration and all the sort of wild hex crawly shizzle that tends to go on in OSR games. Anyway, just a suggestion. I'm going to get back to listening to the episodes. Take it easy. 
Hey there, Robert's Johnny from the Red Dice Stories. Just wanted to thank you for your recommendation of the Fungus Forest on your Wednesday Wanderings episode. Like most people in the OSR, I love a bit of Mushroom Madness in my games, and I look forward to using this excellent-looking supplement in the future. So thanks for me pointing me in that direction. Keep up the good work, dude, and I'll catch you soon. Hey, John, thanks again. Multiple PCs is something that I do kind of endorse for smaller groups, especially in class-based games like D&D, where it's very useful to have every role fill out, filled out. And if you only have three players, um, unless you hire you know, a henchman or something to fill the thief role or the magic user role or the fighter or whatever, um, you you're, tend to be kind of shorthanded. And I think most people, they'll either role-play with a character that's uh, that's present, or they'll have, for me, when I do it, I kind of have like a lead character, the one that I tend to, to role-play out more than the other. But it's it's kind of cool because you, you just have more opportunity to engage with the game. If, if you have both a thief and a fighter character... The thief might be doing the scouting or be being part of like some kind of recon group if you split the party. Oh, heaven forbid you split the party. <laughs> um, while the while the fighter is uh, back in another area and you can be engaged in both areas. Or like if you have a watch schedule and you have one of your PCs in several different watches and something happens. Um, yeah, it's just... It's more opportunity to play, and uh, like you say, it it would soften the blow too if you're if you have a character die and you were you know you had two of them that were third level. Well, at least you still have one third level character, and the other one you you roll up a new first level character too, or whatever. It's I don't know. I most of my gameplay has been um, just playing one PC at a time. When we were kids, we all had stables of PCs. You know you depending on who you were playing with and stuff you, and who was DMing, you maybe had a character with uh, that was mainly DMed by Keith and another one that was mainly DMed by Neil and another one that was mainly DMed by Bill. And But we kind of had an interchangeable kind of group. It's, I mean, I didn't have, like, there weren't really specific campaigns. We just, you know, played with whatever PC we wanted to play with if the DM was cool with it, so... We kind of had these stables of PCs, but we, I don't remember really playing with multiple PCs as a kid, but I, yeah, I think it works out fine. The Wednesday, Wild Wednesdays, that's a good idea. One of the carryovers from OSR October is I'm, I'm thinking about maybe having months where I devote it to some topic and maybe one specific day a week during a month I talk about something, so maybe I can have a Wild Wednesday. Wild Wednesday sometime coming up here where I have a month where I just talk about wilderness exploration or various supplements that deal with wilderness exploration that I like. And I've uh, completely forgotten about what the other <laughs> the other call was about. I better go back and review. Oh, I know what it was. It was the Fungus Forest, the uh, Mushroom Madness uh, adventure that I outlined on, uh, on uh, Wednesday Wanderings. And you should check out John Large's adventure that's uh, dealing a lot with fungus and molds and mushrooms and all that fun stuff. 
It's called Behind the Wall, and it's set in the Midlands uh, of Glen Seal and Monkey Blood Design. It's a collaboration there, so uh, be sure to check that, that out. It's a great adventure. All right, let's shake it. Hey, Rob. Kevin calling in from Red Caps. Just uh, listening to the Monster Friend Monday. Thought I would say two things. One, Keith should get his own podcast. I'm only partway through, but he's sounding super comfortable and, and great on the mic, so he should probably get his own. Um, and second item is, I think the easiest way to solve the the problem that you guys are kind of discussing about people having monster knowledge is the first time that players encounter any given monster, don't tell them the name of the monster. Describe it. Instead of being, you come around the corner and see three goblins, it's you come around the corner and you see three short, pointy-eared, pointy-nosed creatures in, you know, raggedy clothes, speaking in a gibberish language, holding short swords. You know, give a description. And then afterwards, if they deduce that it's goblins and you tell them it's, you can then tell them it's goblins and future encounters can use the word goblin. But until they actually find out, only use descriptions. Anyhow, just an idea. And I get a little bit further into the episode and you say the same thing. So, yes, that is an excellent point. I agree with it 100% and I'm glad I came up with the first. I mean, before you said it, I mean, yeah. Anyway, great episode. Uh, you should do more episodes with uh, with Keith or encourage him to get his own podcast, like I said. And uh, yeah, I agree with everything in this episode. It was fantastic. Great job. And there you had Kevin from the Red Caps podcast pulling in Norton, calling in before the episode's over. <laughs> that's uh, that's funny. Um, yeah, so reskinning monsters I think is is cool, and and just describing them is a way to combat character slash player knowledge of various monster powers. Although I think if you do describe a lot of monsters, many veteran savvy players will will know exactly what you're describing. Um, I do wonder sometimes too, though, about like if your character has uh, a language, like in, in old versions of D&D, especially the non-human characters usually start out with a suite of languages. It seems reasonable that if, if your dwarf character knows goblin, that they'd be able to identify a goblin, that they'd maybe know some kind of cultural aspects and, um, just kind of a general knowledge of goblins as well as understanding the language and stuff. Um, I don't know, just kind of food for thought there. Uh, uh, now Kevin and uh, Goblin's Henchman will be chiming in about the Back to Basics episode I did. Oh, and uh, thanks for commenting about Keith's contributions as well. He is great and should have his own podcast if he, <laughs> if he ever wanted to spend a bunch of extra time doing that, but I'm sure, uh, well, the, the invitation's always open for Keith and the other guys I game with, uh, to come on the podcast and I'm sure we'll hook up again sometime to talk about some various things. It'd be cool to get Keith on the show every month or something. And I definitely want to try and wrangle Brian and Adam to come on as well. And, uh, other people I've gamed with in the past and hope to game with again. Uh, as well as other podcasters and whatnot. So, yeah, all part of the hopeful future. Hey, Rob, Kevin calling in for the Red Caps podcast. Just finished listening to the Back to Basics uh, episode. I love that book as well. I've gone through it a couple of times. Um, 
in case you're not aware, there is an 11th episode, 11th episode, 11th issue of Back to Basics that got released not long after that book came out. Um, I can't remember if it was made for North Texas RPG Con or if it was made for Shire Con, which is the um, con that Tom Wilson uh, puts on. Um, but it was for one of the two, uh, maybe both. Um, and I think you can get it now at DriveThruRPG if you're interested in getting an additional issue of, uh, of the magazine that isn't in that hardbound book. Anyhow, talk to you again soon. Take care. Hi, Rob. Goblin Centrum here. So, yeah, listening along with uh, OctoSR. What are we calling it? OctoSR? <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, good good stuff. I was just wondering, I was listening to your bit about the um, the Boretin cross. Was it... Um, Remind me of an idea I'd like to still do, but never have the time for. Is that write some sort of write up about? It was called Monster Parts, where you take each monster and you sort of list things about them. You know that adventurers might do with the, you know the the carcass, whether it be magical hooves or you know something else. Use the horns to make a you know something else, or you know whether they're just purely tasty, good to eat. And I was made me wonder about the boar etin. Um, I wonder if it was good etin. <laughs> Uh, see what I did there? Good etin. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Bye. Yes, there was an eleventh issue of Back to Basics. You can get that on Drive Through RPG, and I I love it when there are either a separate supplement would be cool, but when it's in a game system or in a module or something where or a setting document where people are talking about the various things you can do with different monster parts. Oh, I think that's great. Uh, I know Tim Shorts does that a lot in his adventures where the, you know, you can use uh, a harpy feather to do this or whatever. It might have like a, you can use it in conjunction with a specific spell to enhance the effects of that spell or something. Or it's useful in a potion ingredient or making some sp special magic item. Uh, didn't the old DMG have different <coughs> requirements for um, I mean, it could be spell components, it could be something that you use in a potion. Uh, the complete alchemist had that too in the Arcanum. Um, and there are, yeah, just good Etten too. I mean, hey, slice up some of that uh, Etten boar prosciutto. Sounds pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I think most uh, parties eventually try to eat some monster. I mean, we're, our group is always trying to eat some monsters and stuff. We've had killed a big giant crawfish and uh <laughs> had some giant crawfish gumbo um yeah we're um, we're always cracking jokes about that or trying to supplement our rations with various monster parts and stuff so um if, if you ever goblin's henchman if you ever made that i would definitely buy it that's i love that stuff um yeah mm, belly up to the bar little uh little Ettenbor prosciutto or serrano or salami or something uh sounds pretty tasty i don't know would that be longer pig and now a man who needs no introduction but i'll introduce him anyway got a bunch of calls from jason from nerds rpg variety cast talking about the episodes from last week take it away jason hey rob jason here really enjoyed your talk with keith um, I would love for Keith to become a regular on your show, you know, even if it's not every episode, but hearing the two of you banter back and forth is 
you know, very nice. And I really enjoy you talking about yourself, too. I, I don't want you to get a complex or anything, but, it, you know, it, it would be cool to get Keith back on. One thing that helps, and this isn't anything new, and you guys might even said this, and, and I just zoned out because I was doing something else when I was listening, but don't say the monster's name is huge. You know, if you don't use the monster's name and just describe it, I mean, obviously some things like Beholder is pretty obvious, but, you know, that can help as well. And, yeah, I, I like the idea of reskinning monsters quite a bit, and I don't have an issue with that. Or there are monster books out there. I recently talked about one where you can roll up a, a monster. So there's lots of ways to do it, and I think all the ideas you guys had were really good ideas and, and, and make a lot of sense, and they're definitely easier than the idea of the players pretending they don't know or this or that. Um, I agree with you. I get frustrated when people comment and give advice when they're not there, when their player, when their character's not there. But there is the school of thought that because, especially a school of thought when it comes to tactics and when it comes to riddles, that because the characters have in-game knowledge, in-world knowledge that the players don't, that it makes sense for everybody to work together to come up with the best solution for something. As long as the player running the character is okay with that, I don't have a problem with that. So if you're running a military tactician in the game, but you have never been in the military, then there's nothing wrong if you're okay with people giving you advice, people giving you tactical advice. I'm definitely okay with that, but the player's got to be okay with it, I think. So that's group discussion, session zero discussion, whatever you want to call it. Um, I thought there was something else. Oh, I know at the end. You talk about the hobbits. You know, Tunnels and Trolls has black hobbits in it. So evil hobbits are, go back at least it. 1975. Anyhow, take care of yourself, and um, I will talk to you soon. All right, I'm back home after a long day at work, a long crappy day at work. Return from vacation, it's always just a disaster, and I'm so effing depressed <laughs> just realizing that the holidays are coming, and I hate the holidays now. I hate it. But I'll try not to let my bad mood get in the way here. But Jason, too late. I've already got a complex. <laughs> but no, Keith is great, and I will do my best to get him back on the show. We've already, we've talked about a few topics that we'd I'd like to have a chat with him about and stuff. And yep, we did talk about describing the monster and not naming the monster. And you're right. There's a lot of monsters out there that. You describe it, and a veteran player is just going to know what it is. And they even look for things in, in different, you know, uh, environments and stuff. That they're on the lookout for, <laughs> for certain monsters and stuff, too. So unless you just completely revamp things or, or reflavor things, reskin things, um, you, you're going to have some player knowledge, character knowledge issues. And, you know, that's why I just don't really get all that worked up about it. Uh, and yeah, as far as, uh, like metagaming or playing your character when they're not there, like if your character is unconscious or asleep or in a different, uh, room or even a different part of the town or something and you're chiming in with advice or, or ideas and stuff. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think you really need a session zero. You can just say, Hey, your character is asleep or Hey, I don't really need your input right now. <laughs> I'd like to figure this out by myself. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's all fine and good. I don't really like riddles because of that. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with a player just saying, hey, my character's a cleric. Would I know X, Y, or Z? My character's an elf. Would that give me any knowledge about these ancient ruins or what this, uh, uh, what this area, what's, what I'm likely to encounter in these woods or whatever, you know, I'm fine with players doing that kind of stuff. And I'll usually feed them more information if it, if it's pertinent to their class or their, the nationality of their characters, like where they're, where they're from, um, the, the species of their character or whatever, you know, that, I'm fine with feeding more information to characters based on their their class, their their species, background, whatever, you know. And I mean when it comes to tactics, yeah, I th- I think if a player asked me, well, you know, my character's a mercenary or he's a fighter or whatever, shouldn't I know like the best way to try and do this? And if they said it that way, I'd probably give them some information, but honestly, most of the people I've played uh, D and D and other uh, role playing games with are war gamers and history buffs and stuff, so they already know a lot of tactics and everything. And so in my games, it just never really seems to be a problem. And tunnels and trolls is a, a definite blind spot for me. I kind of know a little bit about it. You know, I know your old D sixes for a lot of you know combat and saving throws and all that. And and there's you know there it does have some similarities to like D and stuff but i i've never read the rules never owned the rules never played the game so um yeah if there's uh, evil hobbits in there cool i think yeah it's it's not new but it, it does seem to, to <laughs> be cropping up in a lot of the <clears throat> the mega dungeons that keith has been running lately so interesting all right and, and now on to uh, some more calls from jason Hey Rob, Jason here. Dice Roll Zine is a great pick. Everybody should go out and grab those. I've got all of them. Highly, highly recommended. Great, great choice. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see what you come up with next. Keep up the great work. And great job hanging with it. You're you're over halfway there. You can do this. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, no denying, though, that I am getting worn down by it. I have a feeling that November is not going to be... There's not going to be many episodes for me. Um, I'm I'm getting sick of hearing myself, <laughs> if nothing else. Hey, Rob. Great episode on Highfell. Yeah, I've got all of um, Greg Gillespie's Mega Dungeons. I've, you know, I backed the Dwarven one when it was on Kickstarter. Uh, although I don't, I don't know. They're They're neat. I, I personally, for me, because I don't, you know, have a long-running campaign with a group where we're playing on a regular basis, where we play just one game, for me, they're more just to read and to pull elements out of, you know, and pull, pull parts of them out and plug them into other games. But if I had a set group where I was the GM and able to run one of those for a year, it'd be interesting. The good thing he does, and, and you talked about it, is he doesn't just give you a map with things. He gives you, you know, the world world around it, the surrounding environments, what's going on. So you have, you, you know, he, he does a really good job with them. H- highly, highly recommended. Um, so yeah, thank you for reviewing that. Really appreciate it. And I'll talk to you soon.
Yeah, and the and they're fun to read too. I mean, there's little Easter eggs in there that are amusing and um, yeah, and just fun for anyone that's been playing the game for a long time. Greg peppers his mega dungeons with little things like that that uh, callbacks and Easter eggs and and yeah, I I use the stuff mainly for inspiration and and pulling stuff out of there to you know oh I need a. A cave of goblins. Here you go. I'll take something out of Forbidden Caverns of Archaea. Or I need some culties. Here you go. Or a barrow. Here you go. I need uh, a different weird spell or stats for a different monster. Or BX stats for this monster. And there you go. It's all there. And because Keith runs or has been running Mega Dungeons so much. I feel like if when I run something, it shouldn't be a mega dungeon because I think everyone would get um, too tired of it. And really, what by the time I mean, I haven't really been DMing at all lately. I, I hope to change that sometime soon here. Um, but uh, yeah, I get that's one of the things I'd like to talk to Keith about it, are mega dungeons and stuff and how to keep it fresh without burning out because I, I do frankly get burned out on them. Um, they can, they can be very, uh, different, you know, from level to level or you have all these different themes. You can do so much in a mega dungeon like you can in a wilderness. It's just in more confined space, but, uh, you have to give reasons for you to keep going back in the hole and risking your life. And, uh, uh, and it essentially just, comes to well you just have to buy into the fact that this is the adventure so you're going into the mega dungeon all the time um and that that can be a lot of fun and it can be kind of a grind at times too um it's at some points you're like i just don't want to kick in another door (laughs) can we just have some political intrigue please (laughs) or something you know uh but uh so anyway, I, I I don't know if I'll ever really run any of these Greg Gillespie Mega Dungeons as written. Um, I think it's unlikely. I, I did run Barrow Maze for a while, as uh, previous outlined, but uh, I, I don't see it happening anytime soon. But like I said, that doesn't mean these things aren't useful and fun to read and stuff. So um, yeah, on to the next. Hey, Rob, Jason here. Just listen to your Thursday episode where you're talking about resource management. And yeah, I think you nailed it. That's so important in these games and this play style. And the idea, I mean, instead of medical kit, you figure out exactly what's in the medical kit, right? Because the reason is the players are going to riff off that and maybe they'll use part of that for something else. And same thing like adventure. You don't just want to say adventure pack and you don't want to have that bag. I know it in, in some in some versions of the OSR and some of these new games, they, they go with the idea of, oh, you just have an adventures kit and you roll D4. Each time you draw something out of it, you can draw whatever piece of normal equipment out you can. But the negative of that is it doesn't, it doesn't ask the players to be creative with what they have. If they only, ha- you know, if they can just pull out a grappling hook whenever they want, then that doesn't, that's not asking creativity. Where if they only have their 50 foot rope and, you know, they're hammering pinions and stuff, you know, spikes and stuff, well, then maybe they have to think, well, I'm going to 
try to make a makeshift grappling hook by tying this spike at the end of my 50-foot rope and use that as a grappling hook, right? So I think exact, detailed-out equipment, as boring as that is to some people and tedious it is, creates creativity and forces creativity in people. So I think that's important. As far as the proto-OSR discussion, yeah, I mean, there's no question. I, I, I wouldn't call that OSR because the whole OSR idea was trying to a revival or a renaissance getting back to the old way, right, after 3E came out. So I don't know that's that's so much proto. But if you look at OSR as DIY or things that are pushed by people trying to do their own spin on what TSR was doing, that goes back to the very beginning. Tunnels and Trolls, the second fantasy role-playing game in 75, was very much a response to TSR. And, you know, this is the way I would do it. Saint, they want the... You know, Ken St. Andre wanted the same feel, but he wanted different rules. So that's, you know, and, and then we see all these rule systems splinter off and come up with their own things. I mean, of course, you, you know, RuneQuest was the same thing, right? But we have like Arduin. Arduin from the 70s it is the exact same thing. In fact, as early as 77, TSR was given Arduin, given Dave Hardgrave a hard time legally because of Arduin. And, you know, by 81, he had his own rule set out, you know, which is effectively house rules of, of you know, the TSR system, which is kind of what, what you're talking about there with the Thieves Guild stuff is kind of house rules of the TSR system, right? And, and then that's what Rollmaster is. Rollmaster initially came out as house rules, you know, hey, replace TSR's combat system with our combat system. And then eventually it developed into its own game. So, so I think that's more DIY than OSR, but I, but I think it's been in the hobby since the very earliest days. I think the desire to house rule and to make games your own spurred on creatively by the products that already exist, and of course in early days that was TSR, D&D, has always been there. And and I think it's a healthy part of the hobby. I mean, you know, I'm probably the poster child for I hate house rules, but that's not totally true as we've discussed in the past. And I think the creativity and effort that people put into that is amazing and I think the hobby's better for it. So, great episode. Keep up the great work. Yeah, your thoughts about equipment and resource management closely match mine. Um, I I have really no interest in playing a game where they just hand wave things to that extent. Where, yeah, you just uh, can pull anything out of your pack. You've got basically a a bag of holding or whatever, and. Presto, change, oh, whatever you need. Just You can only do it so many times a day, though, but you can have anything because you're an ex- a seasoned adventurer and you would have thought to bring that. Um, pass. Sorry. I, there are some things that I just have no interest in playing, and that's fine. And I totally understand if someone has no interest in playing a game where you have a detailed list of all the gear that you're carrying. That's cool. That's fine. Into the Odd is a game, I think, that really uh, does a great job of, like, defining your character by their equipment and stuff. They give There's just a few things that you start out with, but it makes you start thinking about, it's like less is more or something, so you start thinking about, well, how can I use this? Um, and then you pick up other stuff, and you think about how you can use that, and that's kind of how... I think like beginning characters in D and D are too. You have very limit limited resources. What you can purchase, 
and you kind of pool your gear together and see what you can do. Um, and that game becomes less and less as you become wealthier and wealthier and it can afford, you know, so much, uh, and have a mule to carry it or retainers and laborers to carry your stuff. And that becomes a little bit less meaningful, but, um, but it's still there and it's not just hand waved, um, at least not often. It can be. I mean, if everyone gets tired of it, yeah, start hand-waving it, whatever. Um, as far as the whole proto-OSR stuff, and I mean, I was just kind of spitballing there. And, uh, you know, I kind of thought OSR could be anything, though. So I can't say that the Arcanum and Thieves Guild are OSR, but someone else can say 5E's OSR, or Mothership's OSR, or... Um, I don't care anymore. You know, I'm, I'm just about done with it. Um, and DIY too. I, see, this is why I don't think it's, it's useful to define like OSR as a play style. Because all together now, get the chorus going, any game can be played in an OSR or old school manner. Okay, we've, heard, we've done the mantra now. So then, if that's the case, then it's not a very good definition. <laughs> if everything can be it, then it's not a very good definition. Um, but I, I digress. Um, what I was really referring to is just the if the if the need for when when Stuart Marshall and Matt Finch wrote Osric was to try and provide a safe harbor for people to write uh, adventures for and. Uh, um, without being sued by, by Wizards of the Coast, or to, you know, just stretch to find out where they could go. And it, Chris Gonerman doing this stuff too, and the Troll Lords and all that. I'm not a lawyer. I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. But if these other game companies had done this 20 years ago with Thieves Guild, with, uh, with the Arcanum, with Tunnels and Trolls, I don't know, with, with Arduin. I, I've no, I don't really know much about Arduin either. But if they either weren't sued or won their case, if, if uh, TSR Watsi didn't file suit against these companies, wouldn't they have just been kind of abdicating their intellectual property over things like ability scores and to hit rolls and armor class and saving throws and all these various game mechanics. So was anyone really in jeopardy for doing that? I mean, I can see choosing very specific, you know, like if you put mind flayers in your game, something that was created for D&D with a very specific image and um, whatever, you know, I could see that, you know, ooh, you sh probably shouldn't do that. But if it's something that all these other people had done before in their games, um, I don't know if anyone was really in any legal jeopardy. But again, I know nothing about the law. It just seems like maybe that someone had crossed the Rubicon. Uh, a lot of people had. And as far as house rules and everything, look, every game starts out as house rules, basically. Everything since OD&D has been house rules of D&D. 
Um, <laughs> people have come up with new mechanics and they've applied the game to the idea of a role-playing game to all kinds of different genres and settings and intellectual property and everything, but everything starts out as house rules. So whether or not, it's just whether you choose to use someone else's game or do it yourself, right? Um, so that's why I don't really put all these people people up on like these high pedestals and stuff because you know they're just another schmo too you know they maybe had a lot better idea than me i'm not saying i'm as good a game designer as some of these other people or as innovative or imaginative creative whatever but i can do it and i know a lot of other people can do it and that's why i like about this scene is uh, that's why i like about the diy scene um and there's a huge crossover into the OSR and like the Venn diagram of DIY and old school. I don't know if that's what OSR is. I don't know anymore. Um, I know what it means to me. And if it means something else to someone else, that's cool. That's cool. Um, but uh, I'll just end there. Thanks uh, for the calls, Jason. I appreciate it as always. And now, waiting in the wings, taking a few warm-up uh, swings, Joe Richter from the Hindsightless Podcast. It's about time you showed up. Yo, Rob, so I, I've really been digging your OSR October stuff. I just haven't been calling in that much, which that's fine. That doesn't bother any, <laughs> anybody. But I wanted to say I really liked your Life Path episode. I love Life Paths for character generation. I think they're super fun. Uh, my favorite life path comes from what I would consider an OSR game because it meets every criteria of an OSR game except for the fact that it isn't compatible with TSR D&D. But other than that, it's easy to die. You're not playing superheroes. You're exploring a lot. Uh, you got to think outside of the box, all that stuff. It's Cyberpunk 2020 and their life path system I absolutely love. Uh, so yeah, man, uh, I just wanted to call that in cause I think life path systems are fun. Anyway, dude, take it easy. Peace out. Hey, thanks for the call, Joe. I appreciate it. And thanks for listening. And I'm glad you're enjoying it. Uh, I've been terrible about calling other people too. So <laughs> I certainly can't uh, call out anyone else for, for not doing it. Um, and th yeah, that's cool. It sounds, uh, um, I like life path kind of things and, and even rolling for a background and stuff is cool too, as long as it doesn't take much time. That's, that's kind of my big thing. If, if it's something that can flesh out some details and quickly and maybe get your brain working a little bit differently or something, that's cool. And, uh, if, uh, cyberpunk 2020 has a good one, excellent. And yeah, if it's OSR to you, cool. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, it leaves out the biggest thing for me that it's not compatible with TSR or D&D, but you know, that's just, that's mine. And, uh, but if Cyberpunk 2020 is OSR to Joe, cool. It's on Joe's list. Um, I don't really know anything about Cyberpunk. I mean, I'm trying to think of, I guess, Blade Runner. I, I like that movie a lot, but other than that, I just not exposed to the genre much. I don't even think I've really read any cyberpunk books. And I, I guess I played Shadowrun. That's kind of cyberpunk, isn't it? 
cyberpunk fantasy mashup, maybe. I don't know. Hey, Rob, me again. I I, I really want to say I'm listening. I'm almost finished with you and Jason's Your Invisible Man episode. And I, I just love these episodes, dude. Seriously, you guys really turned me on to The Mummy. I watched that and absolutely loved it. This movie sounds totally cool. And it's just fun hearing you two guys talk about these movies, man. You can tell how much you both enjoy them. And it's very informative and inspiring. And I just, I love it, man. So awesome job. I hope you guys do more of those. And I will talk to you later. Peace out. Hey, thanks a lot, Joe. I appreciate it. And I'm sure Jason does too. Uh, We have a lot of fun doing those. Uh, If you haven't heard it, uh, over on Jason's podcast, Nerds RPG Variety Cast, we uh, delve back into the Universal Monster Collections, um, and we're talking about the Invisible Man franchise. Our initial plan, I think, was to kind of float them back and forth, to take turns um, uh, flip-flopping between our podcasts and stuff, but all of them wound up on mine, so it was high time we put one on Jason's show. And yeah, we'll be doing uh, the Wolfman next, the Wolfman franchise, and then Creature from the Black Lagoon. And we'll probably do some stuff after that too. Uh, Abbott and Costello, Meet the Universal Monsters, there was a whole series of that. And there's a lot of other, you know, classic monster movies that we can certainly delve into. So yeah, we could be, we could be doing these things for a long time. So, and I hope we do. It is a lot of fun to do them. I'm glad you're enjoying them. I hope other people are too. They are pretty long. So, uh, just get yourself a cup of cocoa or something and, <laughs> and settle in. Or if you're going for a long walk, um, especially on a foggy morning or something that might be fun listening to some universal monster talk anyway. All right. Uh, that's it. going to wrap it up here. Uh, still made it on Saturday, so only two days without uh, a podcast, and I'll try and climb back on the horse again tomorrow. Uh, sorry if I was kind of a crab ass here at the end. Um, I'll uh, try and be in a better mindset tomorrow. And until I talk to you again, thanks to everyone who called in. Thanks for listening. Don't go down in a heap. <laughs>